Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. We are here at uh, Silver Lining, a new podcast um, co-hosted by me, Ariel Munafon, and Moshe Ferber. Uh, we, are t- we will talk about uh, cloud security, cloud computing, and uh, try to give the knowledge to every people that uh, we can. Excellent. Good morning. This is Moshe. Uh, thank you, Ariel, uh, for the intro. So we are here at the uh, Silver Lining podcast, the podcast that will bridge between information security professionals and cloud computing professionals. Since most of the infrastructure is now moving to the cloud, we know that security people and the cloud uh, professionals need to go hand in hand to cope with those challenges because the infrastructure and the applications are now one bundle that is very hard to distinguish and everybody got their role in the shared responsibility model of the cloud. And in this podcast, we're going to focus on architecture, application security, challenges uh, when dealing with software as a service. And for today's guest, we're going to talk, uh, which I'm going to introduce you in a second, we're going to talk about the hardest thing in architecture, which is serverless computing. And this is where I bring in Oris Segal, co-founder and CTO for PureSec, the leading uh, at serverless security. He's going to talk to us about uh, challenges with serverless. Ori, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Hey, how are you doing? Perfect. So um, we're going to start, uh, we're going to jump ahead. So I would really like to hear from you a little bit more about what is serverless. I mean... I recently just finished struggling with understanding what containers are, and suddenly, okay, now containers are passe, and uh, it's all technology, this is for old people, and everybody now talking about serverless. And please allow me, allow me to uh, say that uh, I need to better understand this uh, concept, and can you please assist and let me know also what PureSec is doing in this area? Of course. Um. I guess let's start with the beginning with uh, what is serverless uh, because uh, it's, it's a funny issue. A- any person you ask will give you a completely different uh, opinion of what is serverless. And actually there's a big um, you know, conflict uh, or a d- debate, I guess, between um, people in the industry about what exactly is serverless. Um, I think the most common um, notion on what serverless is, is that you simply don't manage the uh, infrastructure anymore. You don't have to deploy anything on servers. So you write your own code, you deploy it to the cloud. The cloud provider is then responsible for executing it based on uh, event triggers. And at no point in time you have to manage capacity uh, or pay for idle. Uh, so there's basically no infrastructure. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, the, a good uh, phrase to say uh, about serverless is if you, you don't use, you don't pay. This is the a pure way, I think. Uh, so that's one aspect. But uh, if you look at it, uh, we all go back to the definition of uh, function as a service. And I'm not sure that everyone agrees that function as a service is indeed what serverless is. Um, 
in theory, maybe the, the ideology behind serverless is that um, you don't deal with infrastructure, you don't deal with servers. Uh, you deploy something uh, in the most abstract way possible and that thing runs and you don't care about the infrastructure. So, so if I say the, the difference between a function as a service and serverless is? That's again, a, a big debate. Okay. Uh, but, but when people in the street, if they know what serverless is, uh, think about serverless, they think about function as a service, yes. That's the, the most common definition, I guess. Okay. So if I want to uh, try to emphasize this and try to uh, basically uh, tell where we stand, we're talking about platform as a service. In platform as a service, we already know that there is managed databases, managed content delivery network. You can uh, put your data in a, a database that you don't manage. You can put your web files, your uh, static files, your, uh, your index.html uh, on the CDN network. Now, the application logic was always uh, something that you need to deal with, and this is usually where you deploy uh, serverless. Now, mm -hmm. the basic idea is that you can run your code and you don't have to worry, A, about the infrastructure beneath, yeah. patching it, hardening it, securing it. Second, you don't have to worry about scalability. It doesn't matter if you run this function once a month or 100 times in a second. The provider is responsible for this uh, for this runtime environment. Right. So it's basically the the, the highest abstraction of cloud compute um, that you can think of. So everything is managed by the cloud provider. You hand the the code, uh, the logic, the configurations, and everything else is managed. It will run when it needs to run, and you don't have to worry about the infrastructure anymore. Okay. So I, I understand definitely, and we understand the uh, the advantages. Uh, the disadvantages, uh, not talking from security side for a second, is that you have to program this at specific languages, right? At specific formats. You, you lose a little bit of the flexibility, am I correct? Um, actually, now um, you can pretty much run any language, especially since uh, AWS came out with the Runtime API uh, at the last reInvent conference, mm -hmm. uh, meaning that you can bring your own language. Um, and other providers support similar ways to, or different ways to achieve similar things. So you can pretty much run any language. I've even heard of people uh, doing COBOL uh, <laughs> as serverless functions uh, today. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think that the main issue with serverless is the mind shift that you need to do. It's a, it's a completely different uh, paradigm of how you compute, how, how you do compute. Uh, the fact that you don't control the infrastructure uh, makes a lot of difference. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of pros for that, but there are also limitations. Um, so different type of CI/CD, different type of uh, testing that you need to do, uh, better understanding of cloud native environments and how to uh, deploy in those environments. There is a lot of changes. So I wouldn't call that a con. Uh, it's not a negative thing, but it is a shift that you need to do in the mindset of your organization. So it's a cultural change that uh, you will have to go through. Yeah, if looking at the from the programmer side, uh, you don't need to, uh, you don't care about compute. That uh, you you pay uh, the duration and the and the memory that you you, you use. Right. So, and, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's what why I believe, uh, and most people agree that serverless is a movement that came from developers. Uh, just like uh, containers came from DevOps, it made more sense for uh, DevOps people not to worry about uh, servers and, and uh, have a repeatable continuous uh, process that they can deploy containers. Serverless came from developers that, if you think about it, uh, the, mo the, the people that gain the most from serverless 
<coughs> pardon me, are developers. They are not bound to any IT, uh, IT infrastructure, IT teams. They don't have to report to anyone. They can simply deploy applications continuously all the time. Okay, amazing. So we understand the pros. We uh, understand a little bit about the cons. And uh, basically, uh, let's talk security now. So mm -hmm. if I develop in the same language that I develop my traditional functions, my traditional uh, environment, what is the new thing here? What kind of new threats do we have? I mean, what am I looking at here? So let's start about what's uh, different. Uh, first of all, you have to think about um, breaking down your application to small bits to functions. Basically, you want to package them with the, in the smallest uh, um, package possible, uh, logically uh, speaking. Um, uh, so it's, uh, I think, by nature, uh, you have to think about microservices and even nanoservices uh, format for your application. You have to stop thinking about monolith application and start thinking about how you break things down. Each serverless function needs to uh, encompass only, uh, you know, the minimal logic, uh, very focused logic, and then you build, you know, dozens, hundreds of functions that eventually uh, build the entire application. You have to think about the fact that you're talking about event-driven programming, uh, which is also uh, something very basic in today's serverless uh, environments. Uh, so uh, what events are going to trigger your functions, how the functions are going to handle the events, how functions are chained, to get, chained together, and how you configure this whole thing. There's a lot of cloud-native configuration required in order to make this thing work properly. Um, from a security perspective, um, I think we are seeing a few, uh, not issues, but things that are, uh, require consideration. First of all, the uh, wide range of event trigger sources that can trigger functions is much bigger than what we knew until today. So if, if you talk to a, a web application security expert today, they are used to looking for malicious uh, input in parameters, in cookies, in headers. With serverless functions and the richness of uh, the event triggers that can uh, uh, trigger functions, you're suddenly finding yourself with all sorts of weird inputs uh, to the application that you're not used to inspecting. Think about a function that wakes up when an S3 bucket uh, gets changed. Somebody drops a file in a bucket and that triggers a function. So what do you inspect here? The file name, the attributes of the file, what comes in uh, the event that triggers the function? Sometimes this can be IoT device telemetry in protocols like MQTT um, or WebSockets, for example. And then you have to start inspecting things in protocols that you're not necessarily uh, ready to inspect. Uh, you can't deploy a web application firewall for that. That's not the right protocol. Um, so, so the input vector can be, uh, you know, potentially more rich and more, uh, well, more diverse and more uh, sophisticated for inspection. And the second problem with input validation is um, the fact that you can't deploy anything on the infrastructure. And this is uh, where we need to take a stop and discuss uh, the most, uh, um, I guess, uh, um, trivial thing in serverless is that you don't own the infrastructure. For you, there is no infrastructure, right? Uh, it's just logic that you deploy to the cloud. Uh, given there is no infrastructure, how do you deploy security solutions. Think about uh, uh, installing uh, a web application firewall, for example, or a runtime application self-protection, uh, a RASP, which requires you to instrument, in, deploy an agent that instruments the application, or, you know, going more traditional with next-gen firewall, IDS, IPS, endpoint prevention solutions. All of these tools require you to deploy something physically on the infrastructure or on the network, either on the server to inspect uh, bad behavior, 
or to you know uh, sense what is going on in the network if there are anomalies but you don't control the network for you there is no network there are no servers you cannot deploy these solutions and so this is a, a, again a shift that people need to do they need to find a solution that is cloud native by uh, you know from the ground up you need to find a solution that can be deployed in those environment given that there is no environment and this is where PureSec, um, this is why we founded PureSec, with the understanding that you need something that comes from uh, the cloud native uh, um, you know, environment rather than from the old world of networks and servers. Okay, amazing. I know that you've been uh, working with the Cloud Security Alliance and the Israeli chapter of the Cloud Security Alliance to create the top threats document for the uh, serverless uh, environment, which is amazing. And I hope to get to see it soon. This is a major contribution for the community. Yeah, thank you. And uh, can you b maybe summarize for us the families of threats that we're dealing here, and uh, why is it different again from developing my regular uh, PHP or Python or uh, regular uh, functions? Right. So um, the document actually originates from a previous document that we published uh, at Purisec. Uh, last year in January 2018 called the serverless security top 10 uh, risks um, that document was very very successful however we felt that uh, it was time to uh, you know contribute it to the community and refresh it for 2019 there's a lot of new knowledge that uh, was accumulated uh, and we wanted to collaborate with other uh, members of the CSA uh, Israel chapter uh, and so we basically rewrote and re-edited and added a lot of new contents uh, to the document. Uh, the importance of the document is, is uh, I think, uh, critical to the success of serverless because um, organizations or corporations and enterprises will only adopt uh, a technology once it's mature and a part of the maturity process is having security tutorials, security guides. Uh, and so it, I think it's critical to the adoption of serverless that people will actually use uh, this document, not only for security, but for them to feel that mm -hmm. the technology reached the maturity point. Um, looking at the top 10, and really we don't have a lot of time to go into all the families uh, or, or all the classes of issues, uh, I did manage to somehow categorize them into um, uh, I guess uh, three main categories of issues. The first one are uh, issues that are related to the design of the application, the architecture itself, how you um, uh, you know stitch things together, the logic, the the business logic behind the application. Uh, the second um, the second family is uh, code level issues, so implementation, bad implementation. You can think about you know event data injection attacks. Um, or um, insecure third-party dependencies, which is a very hot uh, topic uh, these days as well. And the last uh, family of issues are uh, cloud-native configuration issues. So once you made the design uh, correct and you implemented everything correctly, you can still screw up uh, in the configuration. And in cloud, configuration problems are probably one of the biggest um, uh, risks or I guess pitfalls uh, that people will run into. We see it today already with all those publicly open S3 buckets, for example. So, so uh, cloud configuration is going to be a big issue moving forward for now on. So, so if uh, you know, um, we, we talk that uh, you say that uh, it came serverless came from the developers, right? Mm -hmm. And you, as we know, then developers doesn't care too much about security. 
most of the time okay nobody cares about <laughs> security unless uh, their job is at risk yeah so so uh, we give now more more responsibility to the developers and uh, sometimes uh, you talk about enterprise and uh, big uh, companies they see so the security uh, chief uh, person uh, maybe doesn't know about uh, you know serverless and cloud security so how, how do you think uh, the companies should attack this uh, this issue yeah it's I guess it's a it's a hot uh, and uh, it's it's a you know complex topic to to talk about but let's uh, let's take it uh, you know in bite-sized uh, chunks so first of all yes yeah, serverless comes uh, is a movement that I guess started from uh, developers and And um, I think that it's not only that developers don't care about security. Uh, really, nobody uh, cares about security unless their job is at risk or there's uh, some, uh, uh, something to lose, right? Nobody uh, starts a new company and says, mm, security is a terrific feature that I need in my, in my app. This is uh, like uh, one of the, the critical things I want to deliver. No, security is enforced um, either through regulation or because you're afraid to lose your job or damage your uh, corporate uh, brand uh, and so forth. Um, so at the end of the day, developers do what um, they are required to do. There are requirement documents, there are stories in uh, you know, JIRA or in uh, uh, um, whatever agile development uh, method they're using. The, the product manager is, is, is responsible for the requirements. So if security will be a requirement for developers, developers will do security. If security is not a requirement, nobody's going to do security, right? Okay. So it's really not about um, the, the fact that developers are at the will or more in control in serverless uh, is not relevant to whether or not uh, they're going to implement security because they develop what they're told to develop in. Uh, we have to make sure that security is a part of the requirements for every project. That, that's how we're going to achieve secure uh, development. Um, I think that um, the main difference, or maybe serverless is a facilitator for the shift-left movement, if you think about it. Now you have a team that is mostly, uh, the, the team that is mostly responsible for developing projects are uh, developers, DevOps, and maybe DevSecOps, we, we hope for, <laughs> uh, for that to happen. Um, and so uh, these teams will have to handle uh, security. The, the IT security teams, the traditional IT security teams, are going to find it very hard to be a part of this uh, mix. They're going to have to, again, do some kind of a shift. Uh, they're going to have to be more involved in the daily uh, scrums, the daily meetings, uh, Uh, they will have to um, you know uh, uh, join the requirements definition phase and make sure that everybody adheres to corporate security policies uh, but the old way where they are a gate at the end of the process is is uh, long gone like Moshe said at the beginning this should be a shared responsibility model not only in the cloud but also working as a as a team correct yes so t- taking you back to the threat sorry um I mean, okay, so we, we understand that uh, programmers need to be more involved. This is true for every uh, cloud aspect, not only. I understand uh, we talk, you talked about uh, design problems, code level problems, and cloud native problems. Now we understand the cloud native problems. As you mentioned, all, configuration is always the biggest issue. S3 buckets you mentioned. Yesterday I heard a lecture from AWS. Uh, somebody from the support and security of AWS said that eight out of nine uh, incidents in AWS involve somebody... 
uploading their uh, their AWS credentials to GitHub. And so again, uh, if you upload their credentials, no uh, serverless security would help you. Uh, I would like to hear a little bit more about specific uh, cloud native uh, problems related to serverless. I mean, not uh, the trivial one like S3 buckets and the API keys. Also for the code level, again, is it different from what we're doing or the same tools that we're using, the same methodologies can uh, help if you can give us some example on the code level. And of course, the, uh, what things we should look for in the design phase. And after that, we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit, little bit more about the controls on how the companies should deal with this, talking about from the person, people point of view, process, and of course, technology point of view. Yeah, so let's start with, um, I guess, what is different? Other than the you know, richness and the, uh, of the input vectors, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. um, there are other problems. For example, um, open source libraries that you bring in. So this is a common problem in other types of application, right? You trust open source libraries. You don't really know where they're coming from or whether or not they're secure. But in normal environments, you have more control about making sure that they're behaving normally. So you can make sure that they're not communicating outbound and leaking credentials, for example, uh, because you control the network. You can block outbound connectivity. That's not the case in serverless, again. Uh, you're running in someone else's uh, container or runtime environment. You're not in control of the networking. Uh, you definitely can install anything to, or you couldn't install anything to make sure that these libraries don't steal anything or run Bitcoin mining uh, processes for that mm -hmm. matter. Um, is that so, a, a true story, by the way? Somebody managed to fool a serverless function to, to Bitcoin for him? I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we published a white paper uh, last year called mm -hmm. uh, Serverless Crypto Jacking, uh, where we actually managed to leverage a vulnerability in a function to execute code, uh, which was a Bitcoin miner. Now, the, the special thing about this that uh, we could uh, essentially call the same function over and over for, uh, you know, until you hit the concurrency limits, um, which is by default a thousand concurrent functions. And so we basically, through one vulnerability, managed to replicate the Bitcoin miner to run on a thousand different instances at the same time, <laughs> wow. uh, basically generating uh, more um, CPU power uh, for us. Uh, so again, this is not a limitation or a weakness of the platform itself. It all uh, boils down to your own code. Is your code secure? So going back to uh, your question, and you have to remind me the different uh, sections of the question because it was a very long one. Uh, we're not talking about uh, the three uh, families of threats that you're talking about, the design, the code, the design vulnerabilities, the code level uh, weaknesses, and the cloud native uh, misconfigurations. And I was asking for a bit of examples. For All right, service. terrific. Um, so another uh, common issue that uh, we are seeing is with how you sequence these functions. So you have to remember that your applications are usually not a single function with a single uh, event trigger, but rather something more like a state machine where, um, let's say, an HTTP request comes in that triggers uh, uh, the API gateway to send an event to a function that puts something in a bucket that then triggers another function. It's a whole state machine. Uh, usually people will code this. Um, uh, the environments give you the, uh, ways to encode state machines like that, like uh, AWS step functions, for example, which allows you to actually define a state machine with the uh, rules of what happens when something happens. Uh, the problem is that uh, how do you enforce the normal flow of the application? In a regular application, when a user, user comes in, that's the path they have. They can only take one path. 
uh, in serverless, if you don't protect each and every function and make sure that you enforce the, the flow, somebody can mess with your uh, business flow and maybe enter the application in the middle, maybe mm -hmm. invoke a function uh, from the side. Uh, so that's another risk. When we start talking about what the organization should do, I mean, you uh, touched a little bit this now and then. Let's uh, try to see. And again, I'm looking at uh, what kind of training or what kind of knowledge should people have. I'm looking at how you change your process in order to cope with this. And again, if there are technology measures that you can use in order to cope with those. So I think... Um you know, we've been talking about a lot of negative things until now, uh, and it's a good time to, because you just asked uh, about the, you know, the differences, and it's, it's a good time to point out a very important uh, thing about serverless, and that is the fact that uh, on the one hand, you don't have access to the infrastructure, you don't manage the infrastructure. On the other hand, you don't manage the infrastructure. So uh, there's a lot of benefit from security perspective. Uh, think about all those patches that you have to deploy to servers and operating systems and third-party, you know, uh, um, components that you're using, all of that is gone. Uh, networking security, for example. Um, so I think last week um, we published a, a blog. It's also going to be um, on dark reading, showing uh, all the different uh, tasks, security tasks that today you have to manage in normal server full environments or even container environments. And then showing how I think the majority of these issues are not yours to worry about anymore. So from a security perspective, I would say that the starting point for an organization that's adopting serverless is much, much better than before. Uh, you know, going back to the silver lining uh, uh, name for the podcast, I don't know if that will stick. Good luck with that, by the way. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's not all uh, danger, actually. Serverless is bringing, uh, I think, um, a very optimistic um, um, idea or uh, optimistic, uh, you know, um, I don't know how to say it, a vibe to uh, to the security world. Mm -hmm. Someone else is now responsible for securing the infrastructure and that someone else is a much better expert and has much more resources than you ever had in managing the security of the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So AWS or Azure or Google Cloud Functions has much better have much better security teams uh, that are deploying patches constantly. If you take down if you look at uh, what was the name of a meltdown inspector mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was published and the morning after all the AWS infrastructure was, was already patched. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, it will take even more than 10 years from now to see organizations uh, patching their uh, infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say that um, from a security perspective, if you're a CISO, um, adopting serverless is actually uh, taking uh, a lot of the worries away. And um, I think that at the end of the day, the CISOs should, should or CISOs should uh, want to migrate to serverless because of those uh, benefits. Um, and uh, so that's one thing. But but you do have to think about the mind shift uh, of what you need to do when you adopt serverless because it's not, uh, okay, lift and shift. Let's take our application and uh, push it to serverless and it will work. That, that's, not going to, that's not going to happen. Uh, you need to think about how you develop for these um, uh, platforms. What is the right pipeline, CICD pipeline? How do you adopt a cloud native mindset? Um, are your teams uh, ready to adopt uh, serverless? Do you have the right tools, the right knowledge? This is completely new. Yeah. 
Um, so there are a lot of different things that you need to consider, um, you know, when it comes to security and development. Um, uh, as I said, things are, you know, are much, much better, but also much, much uh, different. Um, and I, you know, some of the things that I would uh, point out uh, is testing. That's very challenging. How do you test serverless applications, uh, you know, for security, obviously, but also for QA uh, uh, reasons. How do you test cloud native uh, environments? Um, uh, so that's a very different. The deployment tools that you've been using, I don't know what kind of CI environment are you using or Jenkins or uh, CodeChip or, you know, whatever. You need to find something that matches uh, cloud native environments. Um, and of obviously your teams need to understand uh, the risks. Um, I guess the whole cycle of uh, protecting functions, you know, from the development stage um, and ongoing, you know, monitoring functions um, needs to obviously change dramatically as well. And if you look now at the tools that the, you know, the, the global the cloud computing providers give us, there are the steps that we can trust them or uh, still there is a... A way to go. It's a good point. Cloud providers make a lot of effort to build tools. You can see, for example, AWS has a code build and a code pipe, or I don't remember the name. Um, however, organizations don't want to always, uh, you know, drop the the tools that they are already using. Your your organization is using certain tools. If you can um, continue using these tools for serverless environment, and we see these tools evolving as well, then. Uh, I'm assuming that that's going to be the path that most organizations will feel comfortable uh, taking. However, yes, these tools are are already mature. They've been uh, around for for some years. Um, yeah, so they do provide everything you need. Okay, so let me try to we're closing to the uh, we're getting closer to the end. Let me try to summarize this. So we got serverless, which is like the new hottest topic for a new architecture. It enables me to write my own functions and then simply run it without worrying about the scale, without worrying about the underlying infrastructure. I don't have to manage any uh, servers. I don't have to patch anything. I don't have to harden anything. And most importantly, I don't have to buy or prepare for uh, scaling. Um, with all this, uh, with all this good, oh, there's always the bad side of things. It increase my attack surface right uh, not bad different different sorry <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, but, but it, it gives yeah. a, a lot of more uh, wide of uh, point of uh, you know you talk about the surface that you need to to, to protect it's, it's a different surface mm -hmm. it depends uh, whether it's big or small depends on how you adopt uh, the platform but uh, it is different and it requires uh, a change in uh, the mindset of how you protect things uh, yes yeah, well, yeah. basically, uh, we need, we had some uh, microphone glitch. Here. <laughs> so basically, I'm uh, I have a lot less infrastructure to manage, which means a lot less uh, uh, vectors that somebody can use. The attack surface is much lower, but I'm more dependent on how the way I code. I mean, my, my security comes down to uh, the skills of coding of my developers, which is basically true for any platform as a service environment. Um, but it's uh, double uh, true for uh, for the serverless environment. So again, investing in my uh, uh, programmers' security knowledge, how they code, invest in the way that uh, we configure the cloud. Again, this is always true. Most of the vulnerabilities will be based on misconfiguration. 
and invest in the right procedures, which is basically the right pipeline that can also make sure that I'm writing good code. We're talking about the regular testing, static analysis, dynamic analysis, and basically uh, make sure that I deploy the code correctly and making sure that nobody intervenes with my services. Uh, basically, this means authentication between services and uh, make sure my access controls are pretty tight. And again, this is all comes uh, with the benefits of not managing anything, but I'm very much dependent on my application stack, which is basic, which is, by the way, application security is the hardest thing in information hmm. security. It's the ha hardest thing to get right. Yeah, you make it sound as if, uh, okay, there's a lot that uh, went away and now you have a very small chunk to handle, but that small chunk is a world of, it's a cosmos of its own. Mm, yeah. So, um, you know, looking at uh, the, the, the difference in, uh, we talked about the shared responsibility model, how much uh, responsibility is left uh, to you. So if you try to compare this, let's say, to deploying on EC2 on your own instances, uh, it used to be about 90% your responsibility and then 10% maybe the cloud provider responsible for some uh, compliance things and uh, networking, mm -hmm. etc. Now it's more uh, equal, actually. So there's about 50% of the responsibilities that are still left on you and 50% that went away that that's the cloud um, uh, provider is now responsible for. Mm. Um, and um, as you mentioned, a lot of effort and focus around how you get the pipeline, uh, the deployment to be secure how to get the cloud native configuration uh, uh, resilient to attacks. There's a lot around uh, IAM permissions now, uh, identity and access management in the cloud. That's not an easy topic to, to, to tackle. And actually most organizations are struggling with this. It's a whole you know, brave new world there. Uh, and functions, because of the way you, you program, because they're so granular, each function uh, needs to have uh, its own set of rights that allow it to only do what it's supposed to be doing or else you find yourself in a situation where somebody can do lateral moving inside your cloud account and that's not something you really want. You're talking from the perspective <coughs> of the IAM permissions who is accessing, but also from the permission of the IAM, sorry, from the point of view of permissions of the IAM, point of view of the IAM permissions that I give to the serverless functions, yeah, right? Exactly. I give them their exactly. own permissions. So when a function executes, it executes with some permissions. It need, needs permissions to access cloud resources. Mm -hmm. And uh, which permissions do you give it is critical because by default, everybody will give everything to the function because who knows what the function needs to be doing. But in reality, um, um, you should be giving that function exactly the permissions it needs. If the function only writes to a database table, give it only the permissions to write to that specific table and nothing else. And that will help contain the damage in case somebody, um, you know, managed to find the vulnerability and exploit it in a function. So there's a lot of differences uh, and nuances uh, that are specific to serverless. Um, and just, you know, to, to sort of summarize everything, I think we sort of skipped the cloud native protections and I'm here uh, as a vendor as well. Um, so you need to look at cloud native security, uh, specifically at serverless security platforms. Uh, if you want to secure a serverless, you need a serverless security platform that is native to this environment that understands how to inspect uh, incoming events and how to enforce the right behavior of these functions and to help you 
with um, you know secure deployments and asset management and all of these things yes. okay and this brings me to my last comment today if you want to secure uh, a service functions you need to take the best practices from the cloud provider and uh, there's nothing general uh, that you can uh, speak about because it's relatively new right uh, correct you need to basically take the industry insights and the cloud provider guidelines And, uh, and the CSA top risks uh, guide. Yeah, basically uh, what I'm saying here is that there isn't much good written material about platform as a service and serverless specifically. So uh, be very uh, uh, prudent on the, on the manuals or white papers that you read. Again, uh, it's relatively new. We don't have enough written information. This is again why we thank you, Ori, for the contribution to the community for the top uh, top threats document for the serverless. Okay, so we need to wrap things up. It was very fascinating, Ori. Good luck with your thank journey you. to uh, secure uh, serverless. Ariel, anything you want to add for closure? Uh, I think that it was very interesting. So thank you, Ori. Thank you. And um, this is why, what I think that we are trying to do is to Uh, bring a professional security uh, professionals uh, that understand and to try to uh, share the information with other people you say that um, it's it's new it's new and it changes all the time so this is what uh, we need uh, to share information and to help uh, companies and and uh, personnel uh, great and from my point of view in this blog we're gonna st focus on secure architecture we're gonna focus on uh, application security we're gonna fit talk about the things that you do in your everyday life to your operational security we're going to talk less about how to manage your information security at a very high level we're going to talk really about the operations that you need to, to put in place in order to protect your infrastructure how you build the architecture what kind of tools do you need what kind of a security you need to embed into your services Okay, hope you enjoyed it and we're closing this up and we'll see you next week. Goodbye from all of us and uh, at Silver Lining Podcast. Bye. Bye-bye.